God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the power of his word, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, Welcome to Between the Lines, a podcast by the Timothy Project. Tune in to an intriguing, mind-stimulating podcast where your mind-boggling questions in the Bible are analyzed. Simply breaking down mysteries in the Bible, precept upon precept in the scriptures until we see Jesus. Be blessed as you listen. Welcome back, family. This is Between the Lines, the official podcast for the Timothy Project. And we're continuing a very engaging, informative, and interesting series, Imago Day. Today, we'll be discussing um, Christ the Perfect Image. But before we do that, we'll have to recap what we've done so far in Imago Day. Let me not get ahead of myself. I'm your host, Eugenia Kekeli, and I'm here with Sotu. Sotu, what's up? Hello, everyone. It's great to be here once again. I'm looking forward to an amazing discussion this, on, on, on this topic. Christ the right. perfect image, yeah. Awesome, awesome to have you. I'm also here with Beth Mon, Pastor Beth Mon. How are you doing? Hi, I'm good. I'm, um, it's an honor to come your way once again. We would pray that today's uh, discussion and conversation would be an insightful, enthralling, and impactful one. Amen. I think one of these days we would need to have like a meet the cast podcast. We'll, we'll organize that for you. I'm sure you'd like to know a little more about the voices you keep hearing. But that's for another time. <laughs> so Imago Day, Image of God. Um, it's been an exciting series for me personally, you know, just really understanding the concept and um, really beginning to see what, what it means to, for someone to say that I am made in the image of God or for the Bible to tell me that I am made in the image of God, um, what that carries. But um, let me not steal the thunder. Um, so to so far, how have you felt about the series? Have you learned anything new or exciting? Oh, most definitely. Um, I think that the series um, has been an insightful um, journey for me in particular. Um, we we all have a sense of um, why a sense of something not being right with the human race or even right with ourselves as individuals, and um, the series seeks to um, give answers to those questions we ask ourselves: why 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 is the world so broken? Why is humanity so um, selfish, so full of evil, and all of that? And when you go through the series from beginning to where we are now, you begin to understand that um, you understand the mind of God in creating the human race and what the purpose of the human race is and how we are falling from that purpose, right? So it begins to make sense, uh, put two and two together and you begin to appreciate 
why the world is the way it is. Um, but it is not all bleak. Um, the Lord or God provides a solution to this, and I'm sure um, it will come up uh, whilst we, we talk about some of these things uh, in, in, in our discussion today. Awesome. Um, Bethmond, anything you'd like to add? Um, for me, uh, this series has been uh, particularly insightful. And um, one of the things we talk about as Christians that we discuss is um, uh, for us Christians, human life is valuable, right? And we say that God himself came down and paid a price for us. But why is the human being so valuable to God? And in this series, we come to the conclusion that man is valuable because we are made in the image of God. And that, that um, gives us a peculiar importance. It puts us at um, the top of the food chain, if you might say, uh, in terms of value. And also the, the way the image of God language takes on different forms. So when we, when we, we looked at um, um, uh, the, the first one, the, um, the walking, talking idols, we see that, okay, humanity itself is made in the image of god then i think when we look at rogue images we saw how the image languages changes from just human beings to a priesthood right so the role remains the the, the main idea remains the same and the, the nomenclature changes along the line but the task and the assignment still remains that we are still god's representatives Right. Um, I love how you ended because you said that the task and the assignment remains and we're still supposed to be God's representatives. But so far in the series and actually in our lives, we've just been seeing uh, repeated failures and repeated flaws across history and even in recent times. And it seems to me that today in the podcast for today, we'll be discussing what God's solution is to, is for that. Um, and the title of that is Christ, the perfect image. I want to start the intro for this with a scripture that is featured in our blog post. It's Hebrews chapter one, verse one to three. It says, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the power of his word, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, now that's a mouthful, um, but there are a few things that I'd like to pick out from that. It talks about Jesus Christ being the son of God, and it talks about him being the glory of God and the express image of his person. Um, Bethman, when that, what does it mean or what impact does it carry when we make the claim or when the Bible makes the claim that Jesus Christ is the son of God? Okay, so I'm, um, we'll, we'll go through a very long rabbit hole here, but um, just stay with us. So um, if, you, if you follow the um, mid, um, ancient Mid-East concept of sonship, um, a son is not just one who has familial bond, 
with their father, right? So that's that's not just what they bring into the notion of sonship. In the notion of sonship, it embedded the idea of representation. So, for instance, in the book of John, if you read the Gospel of John, you realize that there was a constant tension between Jesus and the the Jews and the Pharisees, right? And the tension stemmed from the fact that Jesus called himself the Son of God. And at one point in time in John chapter 5, the Bible says they took up stones to call him, to, they took up stones to stone him because in calling himself the Son of God, he has made himself equal with God. If you if you trace through the Old Testament, um, uh, Adam is called the Son of God, and Adam is the, representative, is the representative of God. When God saves Israel from e Egypt and brings them out of slavery, he tells Pharaoh that Israel is his firstborn. And that firstborn was called to be a nation of priests, right? So the, the son language is also representative in nature. If you look at 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14, when um, uh, God made the promise to David about an heir of David sitting upon the throne forever, one of the statements that God makes is that he shall be to me, I shall be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. What does it mean? Does it mean that God will give birth to someone? And what's actually meant is that that person is going to represent God in his rule and his reign. Also, if you look at Psalm 2, which is one of my favorite messianic psalms, Psalm 2 talks about the fact that um, the, I, I think we should read it, right? I think reading, reading Psalm 2 will do justice to it, and we'll just do a quick word study as well. Um, so, awesome. So, so look at Psalm 2. In Psalm 2, it starts by asking questions. It says, why do the nations rage and why do the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart, let us cast their cords from us. And the Bible says, he who sits in heaven laughs, that is God laughs, and he holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them with his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell the decree of the Lord. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As for me, I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with the rod of iron and dust them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. So the psalm starts by people take, making a mockery of God and the kings of this world making a mockery of God. And God's response to them is to set up his king here on earth in Zion. And who is this king? This king is referred to as the son. Meaning that this king is one that is going to be a representative of Yahweh. Are we together? Definitely. Okay. So that's that's the um, the idea behind sonship. So when when you have the idea of a son, for instance, I'm a, uh, back then, and even it is it is a relatively new thing for us to even veer off career paths, choosing different career paths from our parents and because. Back then, you notice that some people have weird surnames, weird in a sense. You notice that someone has the surname Carpenter, someone has the surname Barber, someone has the surname Foreman. 
mostly it's because that was the family trade. So if your dad was a carpenter, you would become a carpenter, your son would become a carpenter, your great-grandson would become a carpenter. And mm. that was how it went. So now it became not just a trade, it was your identity, right? Right. So imagine, and for instance, Jesus Christ's biological father was um, uh, Joseph, right? At some point in time, when Jesus came onto the scene, he was like, is that not the son of the carpenter? In other places, they called him, is this not the carpenter? Because whatever Jesus' father Joseph was, that was what Jesus would be. But then uh, at some point in time, when Jesus was 12, he told his parents that I must now be about my father's business. So on the physical realm, my father's business would have been carpentry, but I am not just a mere human. I am the son of God. So I must be about the father's business in representing the father. If we go back to the Hebrews chapter two, Hebrews chapter one, verse two and three text, uh, what we see is that the word used as the express image of the son is quite heavy. In the Greek, there are two words that are typically translated image. The first word is the word icon. And, and um, uh, your guess is as good as mine. It's from that Greek word that we get the English word icon for our computers, right? And what is an icon? An icon is a symbol, a representation of a code of programs or something that you want to open. So the icon says as an image, right? Then there is also the, the other Greek word is the word character, character, which is quite interesting. And the word character, um, if you trace the, the Greek lemma, the source of the word character is, is more like a stencil imprint. So those who are familiar with the aspect of tie and die, when you have a stencil, you put it in a die and you mark it upon a surface, you get the exact imprint. And that is the word used concerning Jesus. Jesus is the exact imprint of God in human form. For instance, the best way I used to try and describe this is that if you take a camera and you point it into heaven, if you could, and you take a picture of God and you view that picture, what you will see is Jesus. And that's what that's how I best explain that thing, right? And that's what the concept of sonship meant. I think that was such um, an expressive and very detailed explanation. So like we, we, we fully understand the concept of sonship and the importance it held at the time. Seeing that, you know, sonship held such an important value um, intrinsically and also guided the life of a person, how did um, the culture around Jesus react to the information or to him claiming to be the son of God? You know, knowing that God is like, you know, the ultimate being and here is Jesus, saying that he is a representative of the father, um, that he's a stencil of God. How, how does that compute with the culture around him and even for the culture today? Um, well, history gives us that answer. Um, <laughs> the, it, is, it is no mean to think to say that they were very bewildered um, by, by the actions of Jesus and the claims of Jesus. And um, as Bethman rightly said, and in John um, chapter five, um, right where um, Jesus talks about his father working until now, and he, and so as a result, he's also he's also working. He says he makes that statement um, um, because 
the Jews are, are angry that somebody has been healed on a Sabbath. And so in essence, um, the Sabbath law had been broken. Um, and Jesus makes that statement to them. And for them, um, when anyone calls God their father in the way that Jesus did, um, I think Bedman has also, also mentioned this already, you are essentially equating yourself or making yourself equal with God. And for Jews and for the Jews, that was that was the highest um, sin that was deserving of death, blasphemy. And so um, you would realize that um, in the accusations that the Jews brought against Jesus Christ to get him crucified, um, it was the, the the accusation of blasphemy and that he had made himself equal with God. And so for them, it was a it was a huge deal. It was a very big deal. And here in our time. Uh, we are not so much um, um, tied to a particular law per se, uh, for which we would say that that claim of Jesus is a blasphemy um, in recent times um, or in the world that we know it today or in our culture today. However, um, if we do subscribe to um, the notion of uh, an ultimate being um, who is all powerful and then a human being like ourselves who is who is frail who is full of um, um shortcomings and 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 all manner of things um to to make such a statement the 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 best that you can get away with is for people to just say that you are mad and that it ends there because for a human <laughs> being yeah because yeah for a human being to equate yourself to god it's it's and even if we, if people do accept that that notion of a of a God who is all powerful, a being who is all powerful, all knowing, and for you to equate yourself to such a being, and say that the two of you are the same, Jesus says that I and my Father are one. For you to make such a, a claim now, I don't think that um, because of probably human rights and and whatnot, we may, we may not have stoned you, but we probably have locked you up in some asylum because. Some of the things the utterances you are making um, is bordering on insanity. So yeah, um, yeah. So <laughs> it's 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 a very um, serious claim that Jesus made, mm -hmm. and 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 interestingly, it is the bedrock to the Christian faith because yeah. if Jesus, if Jesus is not the Son of God, then we are totally lost. Our, our belief has no foundation, and um, we are just we are just running around in the dark, but. Exactly. Thanks be to yeah, thanks be to God. He, he Jesus Christ demonstrated whilst he was alive, and we see it in scripture that he is actually God and he is indeed the Son of God. Because we see him perform things or do things that are uh, in the reserve of, of deity or in the reserve of God. Mm. All right. A, a typical example where the, he was he was on a boat with the disciples and he speaks to the storm and the storm calms down and the winds calm down and the disciples are surprised and they are wondering what manner of man is this because they know the manner of men that they that are around them they see they themselves are men they know their capabilities they know a man cannot speak to the wind or to the storm and calm it and so for a man to do this it is extraordinary it is supernatural it goes beyond what they know. So they are, they are confounded, right? And Jesus Christ kept on doing things like this. For instance, forgiving sins. In the time that, of, of, um, that Jesus lived um, in the Jewish culture, 
the forgiveness of sins was only the preserve of God. It was only God that could forgive sins, right? And so for a man to say that, uh, rise up, take up your mat and, and walk, your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. People like the audacity, the effrontery, and the temerity for you to make such a statement. I mean, it is, it is, it is very wild, right? So for, for we see in history, um, Jesus doing these things that are in the reserve of God, and he does them well, and it is without question, right? And so apart from that, there are several other evidences in scripture that point to the fact that Jesus Christ is who he claims to be, all right? And we, as we have pointed out in other blog posts, um, Jesus Christ's um, death and ultimate resurrection was God's validation of him being his son. The fact that Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead was God's ultimate validation of all the claims that he had made that he was the son of God. All right. So for, 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 for us to answer your question briefly, I mean, um, it was a very well statement and claim that Jesus was making in our time. It's, 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 it would be um, insane for anyone to make such a claim. Um, but for us as believers, it is a claim that is the bedrock of our, of our Christianity. And um, before we can, Christ says that anyone that comes to him as first believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of all those who diligently um, trust in him. And so that is what we believe in, right, as, as believers. And so um, in our time, it will be insane for you, for you to hear anyone say that, but it is crucial to our belief as Christians that Christ is indeed the son of God and that um, we placing our faith in him guarantees that we are also born as um, sons of God or we begin to reflect mm -hmm. that image of God that is represented in Christ whilst he was on earth. Right. Yeah, and just to piggyback on uh, something that Tochu said. Um, uh, so if Jesus Christ claimed to be the son of God, and he is the son of God, then everyone who listens or hears him has only one thing to do, which is to submit to him. And that's always the point of contention with back then and even with us now. And like Sotu said, if Jesus Christ, a man comes to them and claims to be the son of God, the, 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 it's a weird thing to, to claim to be the son of God. So, um, it reminds me of um, uh, C.S. Lewis's trilemma. So C.S. Lewis has a, a, a basic trilemma for sorcerers now. If, so he calls it the Lord, liar, or lunatic trilemma. So if Jesus Christ claims to be God, there are only three options. Number one, he's lying, right? Which makes him a liar. Number two, he doesn't know he's lying and he's not the son of God, which makes him a lunatic. And the third option is he's either the son of he's he's claiming to be the son of God and he is the son of God, which makes him Lord of all. And if he is Lord of all, we need to submit to him. Most people in our day and age are comfortable with delegating Jesus Christ as a good teacher, right? Somebody who taught the principles of love, who taught us the way in which we should go, how to be nice to our neighbors and everything. But a nice person does not claim to be God. We've had nice people. Mother Teresa did not claim to be God. We've had um, uh, 
Mahatma Gandhi. Mahatma Gandhi did not claim to be God, right? So we keep, and, and, and good people are generally not people who go around telling blatant lies. So if we put the liar aside, then it's either Jesus is a lunatic or he was Lord. And anyone who came into contact with Jesus was amazed at the level of wisdom with which he spoke, was amazed at the level of intellect with which he operated. And nobody who comes into contact with Jesus or even reads the historical record of Jesus, which we have in the gospel, can claim that Jesus Christ was anything but uh, was, was, was a lunatic. So the only appropriate response is that Jesus Christ was Lord. And the only appropriate response to then and now is that if Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and Jesus Christ is Lord, he is worthy of all our worship, and he's worthy of our lives. Right. So that's just one way we, we, we can approach the conversation. Indeed. Mm. Preach. Um, I, I think that another thing that we do sometimes, which you did mention, is that um, we recognize, or especially for my generation, I've, I've seen that a lot of times where we understand and recognize that Christ is Lord, but then we ignore the implication of that. We ignore the correct response to it, which is to submit to him. Um, and then we sort of relegate the information to um, intellectual knowledge and something that we don't have to act on per se. Uh, but I mean, like Beth Bond rightly said, there's, there's three things. He was, a, he was a liar, he was a lunatic, or he was Lord. We've eliminated the two, so we, we know that he is Lord. And if he is Lord, then we ought to submit to him because that's what Lordship is for. And if you're listening to this or you know somebody like that who, you know, doesn't have any defense against Christ being God or um, really doesn't, doesn't have, uh, shall I say, an atheistic mindset about it and is just reluctant to do the submission part, Please let this be an encouragement to you that all that we've been discussing so far in this image series has been about how flawed we, we have been at carrying out the task of appropriately representing God in, in our human self, in our flesh. And Christ came to do that for us. And that's why we have such an apt title that Christ is the perfect image. And he came to correctly represent for us how to reflect God, or as uh, Hebrews put it, how to be the express image of God in his glory, his full glory. And the only way we can achieve that is through Christ. And so we, we shouldn't give in to that um, lackadaisical habit of knowing who he is and the importance and the value of his person, and yet ignoring it in pursuit of our desires, right? So that, that's just, let's just let that be an encouragement to you. And if you want to encourage somebody else with it, send them the podcast to send them the podcast, follow us on all our social media as well. So we've discussed several things so far. We've spoken about how Jesus is the son of God. We've spoken about, you know, the imports that carries. Um, we've spoken about how he's not just making a claim to it. There's proof of it that he's the son of God. And I've mentioned briefly that Christ is the perfect image, but how exactly is Christ the perfect image or how exactly does Christ show us 
how to be the perfect image. Okay, so um, this is where reading the Bible in this context is so much fun and so, so, so rewarding, right? So who, the first images were Adam and Eve, right? And Adam and Eve chose their will and their way instead of what God had commanded them to do. Um, so then comes Christ, who is the perfect image of God. So then we, we see we see Christ uh, in a way succeeding wherever our uh, predecessors have failed. So Adam and Eve went their own way. Jesus Christ, after he is announced by John the Baptist as the son of God and the lamb that takes away the sin of this world. The Bible says he's carried, he is carried by the spirit into the wilderness. And there he's tempted by the tempter, the devil, who tempted Adam and Eve in the garden, right? And he tempted Jesus at three points. He tempted him at the point of the desires of his flesh, the lust of the flesh. He tempted him at the desires of the pride of pride. He tempted him at the desires of the last of the flesh, the last of the eyes, and the pride of life. This 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 biblical terms, right? So, and the Bible says that at each point in time, the devil prefaced his his um, um, uh, argument by, "If you are indeed the Son of God, if you are indeed like God, then you have the power to do whatever you want." Just like he told Adam and Eve, "Each of these things, you will become like God." Jesus Christ was faced with the same thing. And at every point in time, Jesus Christ responded with the words of God. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. It is written, you shall serve the Lord thy God, and only him shall thou It is written, you shall not serve the Lord your God. So at every point in time, Jesus committed himself to walking and doing the will of God perfectly. And the nation of Israel was also called to, to be representatives, and they also fail. And as human, so you see, Jesus Christ comes and he stands in a very unique place. As a human being, he stands, he stands side by side with Adam and Eve. By coming as a Jew, he stands also side by side with the nation of Israel. And where, where these two fail, Jesus Christ stands successful representing God, choosing the will of the Father. In uh, John chapter 4, the Bible says, Jesus Christ was so consumed by doing the will of God that in John chapter 4, when his disciples went out to buy him food and he came and they were asking, this guy eating something that we don't know. He says, my meat or my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish it. That was how enamored and consumed Jesus was with perfectly walking in the will of God. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when death viewed him face to face. He could have chosen to go his own way. But in that prayer in the Garden of uh, Gethsemane, he prayed a simple prayer. He says that if, it, uh, if it's possible, let this cup pass over me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will. And at every point in time, in every situation, Jesus Christ showed us that it is possible to be perfectly representing God and not choose to go our own way. And this is encouragement to somebody out there who's struggling or thinks it's, it's impossible to do this task of image bearing and representation. Christ did it to show us that it can be done. He took upon human nature and showed us that these things are possible. So 
Yes, um, our, our, our forefathers and predecessors might have failed, but Christ stands tall and he walks the path and shows us that it is possible. And that, so at the perfect image, he is not only one who came to pay the price for us, which we have looked at uh, sometime before, but he's one that comes to show us the way. And it's no, it's no coincidence that when Jesus Christ is describing himself in John 14, he calls himself the way. Right? Not only is he the truth, not only does he bring us life, or he sees the life, he is the way. He shows us the, 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 the pattern to which we should build our lives and to follow. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting and very, very, like, very amazing. Like, there are, there, there are keys that Jesus gives to us um, to enable us to be that perfect image. He, he models the perfect image of God, right? And he shows us the way to go. And it's quite, it's very, it's very simplistic uh, if you look at it. Um, and, and if you were listening to Bethmore carefully, you realize that he kept repeating one word, the will. Okay, I've even added another to it. It's just will. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and the will is at the center of everything. Um, we, we understand that when God created humankind, in order for humankind to um, fully express him and to love, okay, God had to give, him, God had to give humankind a will and the, 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 the power of choice. And it is only through that that true love can be manifested, right? Jesus Christ, when he comes, and so Jesus Christ, when he comes, um, models his life in a certain way that reveals to us that indeed if we are to reflect the perfect image of God and that we are to love God, right, we, our will must be subject to his will or to the will of God, all right. So Jesus at one time was speaking to a group of people and his mother and then sister and brothers come and they are looking for him and then he says that um, who is my mother, who is my my brother who is my sister. He says that for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. All right. We see Jesus Christ at all points in his life, subjecting his own will to the will of God. Before he goes to get crucified, he goes into Gethsemane and he prays. That, and we should understand something. It is not that Jesus Christ didn't have a will of his own and that because he was both God and man, he, he was, I mean, by, by default, he would, he would uh, defer to the will of God. No, it was a choice. All right. And Bethmann said, but, uh, he mentioned that Christ was tempted on all points, right? But yet without sin. It means that the kinds of um, self-doubt, the kinds of anxieties, the kinds of um, things that go go on in our minds especially when we want to make a decision um and we we oftentimes do know actually the right decision to make but we are conflicted within and we don't we we we, we without wish that we don't take that decision but we know that is the right decision to take jesus christ went through all of that such that bible says that when he was in gethsemane and was praying his sweat became like but the guy was in anguish he didn't want to go to the cross and go and die such a shameful death mm. because he could he could foresee the kind of pain the kind of uh, um, turmoil that he would go through, right? And yet he says to, to the father, I, I, I'd rather that this cup passes from me, but that notwithstanding, your will, your will, your will, your will. And, and we see that happening 
over and over again in his life. So for us to, to, to live our lives as perfect images, Jesus Christ has given us the key. And the key is to subject our will to the will of God. All right. And by doing by so doing, we will reflect the image of God. Because um, you could say that when God created um, Adam and Eve, they probably didn't have a, a template to or a model to follow, right? They were the first of their kind. Um, mm. But Jesus comes and shows us that, okay, if your excuse before was that you didn't have a model <laughs> to follow, <laughs> to follow, I am the model. Right. I am the I am <clears throat> I am the example. Pardon. And so, if you follow my example, you would inevitably reflect the image of God or you inevitably be the perfect image of God. And it is quite simple, subjecting your will to the will of God. And we captured it nicely in the last, I think, um, towards the last paragraph of the blog post, there's scripture in Hebrews 5, 8 to 9. All right. And I will not read the full thing, but I'll just read um, some emphasis. It says, although he was the son of God, that is Jesus, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So we see, we see here that the, 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 the concept of obedience is playing like a major role here. And so we subjecting our will to God in essence is we obeying God, right? And one of the practical ways that we can, we can walk in obedience to God is to understand what his will is. So we see Paul praying uh, in, his script, in scripture for, for um, the, the disciples that he had, he had nurtured and brought up, the churches that he writes to, his letters to right. in Ephesians. I pray that you, um, the will of God will be made known to you. You understand? Yeah. He always prays this prayer that you will know the will of God. And he says in Romans 12 that you be, do not be conformed to the, part, the, to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the reading of your mind. Then you will not understand and you will know the perfect will of God, right? So it is in understanding and knowing that perfect will of God and walking in obedience. It is not just knowing the will, but walking in obedience to that will mm -hmm. is what is going to help you as a believer to, to reflect the image of God perfectly. And so if you if you are, uh, just something to add to what Bedmond said, if you are thinking, about, uh, these guys are saying so many things, I'm, I'm the image of God, uh, uh, Christ is my example, um, I need to subject my will to the will of God. How do I live it out practically? How do I even know what the will of God? The will of God is exhibited and manifested in his word. You can start from there, all right? In the logos of his word, you can start from there and then you will know um, what he desires of you, what he expects of you as his, as his son, as his, as his child. And then you can walk in obedience to that truth. And in walking in obedience to that truth, you will be reflecting the perfect image of God. Wow. Um... Once again, I am so honored to be in the presence of, you know, such learned men of God. And it's it's really amazing to hear your take on this because, um, so to you said something that really made me start to think a lot because um, you mentioned how Jesus was in the garden praying to God, you know, this cup, take this cup of suffering away nevertheless. Um, I would submit to your will. And, and it, it really put into perspective for me the things that I struggle with in submitting to God about uh, things like time, even, 
like I want to commit to a specific prayer time or a specific quiet time. And, but in the end, my will for um, sleeping more or my will for getting other tasks done or my will for going on social media eclipses God's will to be intimate with me and to, to spend more time to me and, and to grow with in relationship with me. And when you put that against, you know, like what Christ had against, like he dude was facing death. And even when he was facing death, he still chose the will of God. And what I am facing is love from God, right? Mm -hmm. And yet I find myself or I find my will trying to deviate from that love, trying to pull me towards the desires of my flesh. And when you put it in perspective like that, it makes it really almost ridiculous that my will would hold precedence over what and God wills for me. Pardon? And you know the beautiful thing in all of this, mm. um, in, 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 in Genesis, we see people choose their own way, Adam and Eve choose their own way, and they end up in exile from the presence of God and eventually death. In the nation of Israel, we see a nation called to be represented, they choose their own way, go into exile, eventually death. But we see Christ at the point of death choose God's way. Mm. And what looks as though in choosing God's way was going to cost him his life, God intervened and brought him back from the death because he chose my way. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And, and, yeah. and, 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 and that's something that should be encouraging to all of us that even when choosing God looks as though it's going to cost us our life. Even when choosing to represent God means that we are going to suffer loss, right? When we still choose God, God will then come through for us, right? There is no, there is no losing when we choose God. Right. That's that, that, that's that's yeah. the beauty in all of this. Sure. Wow. I think there's no better note to end this on. Um if you've been listening and you have more questions or you would just love to have a discussion about what all of this means to you personally or you want to just understand it more, um, you can reach us on Instagram. We are the underscore Timothy underscore project. And on Twitter, we are TTP underscore Ghana. And on Facebook, we are TTP Ghana. You can reach us on any of these platforms. Um, DM us, send send something away. Uh, let's let's get to communicating and let's get to um, you know discussing these things into more detail. And we have a website as well um, where you can access all of our information. I I I feel stunned um, with the weight of all that we've discussed. I usually ask for last words, but I I honestly feel in my spirit that. That is the best way that we can end this podcast um, on Christ, the perfect image. We know that he is Lord and that he is the best representative of a, of a human reflecting God or of a human representing God. And so we say to you from between the lines, the official podcast at Timothy Projects, choose God and have a blessed day. 
Thank you for tuning in to Between the Lines by The Timothy Project. The Timothy Project is a crowdfunded discipleship ministry that seeks to train and disciple young believers, presenting them perfect to Christ. What we do here is made possible by your generous gifts and donations. If you've been blessed and seek to support us, you can find our giving options in the description below. Keep tabs on our website for exciting blog posts. You can also interact with us on our social media handles in the description below. The Timothy Project, presenting every man perfect.